So literally, my, my understanding is he did some sort of subterfuge and was where it got some sort of Russian blazer with a Russian emblem and they took the railroad across Russia to Vladivostok, which is basically, Vladivostok is like, you could almost throw a, a rock into Alaska. It's the far northeastern end of Russia. And then they took a boat from Vladivostok to Seattle where they were actually taken in by B'nai B'rith, which had been good with a lot of Assyrians, and kind of take care of them, and that's how they came to the United States. My only reference for what a political consultant and strategist generally does came from the character of Joey Lucas on The West Wing, played by the brilliant Marley Matlin, who consults the fictional president, Jet Bartlett, and his team. That was until I met today's guest, who served as an aide and consultant to a guy who went on to become the actual 44th president of the United States. Hi there, it's Rhoda, and I'm back with episode 35 of the Assyrian podcast. I happened to be in Chicago about a month ago when I had the chance to sit down with Dan Showman and talk to him about his life and his work as a government consultant and strategist. We talked about his grandparents and their migration stories to the United States and their eventual settlement in Yonkers, New York, where Dan was born. Dan worked for then-Senator Barack Obama from 1997 to 2006. He currently serves as the CEO of his Chicago-based firm. I have to say that when I read the book, The Audacity of Hope, back in 2008, I had no idea that the person who accompanied Obama on his enlightening week-long trip across the state of Illinois was an Assyrian man, and I could have never imagined that I would get to meet him a decade later. Dan is so full of life and has such an interesting background and story, and I think you'll really enjoy learning more about him. But first, if you've just happened to find the Assyrian podcast, then welcome. We're so, so glad to have you. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified of future episodes. And if you've been with us for a while, thank you for your continued support. If you haven't had a chance to review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure to do that. We love, love, love hearing from you. One last thing before we get into the interview. Support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Caligaracos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligaracos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, here's Dan Showman. You were born in Yonkers, New York. Correct. Were your parents born there too? Actually, my dad was born in Yonkers, New York, and I uh, actually went to high school in New York. My mother was born in New Jersey, in Bayonne, New Jersey. Well, actually, she was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, but grew up in Bayonne, which was anybody that has watched a television show, The Honeymooners, that was the lifestyle that she had, which was she grew up, there, like there was a business on the first floor, like a bicycle shop in her case. And then upstairs they had the small houses that they lived in. And there was a lot of immigrants there in my mother's neighborhood, Polish, Czech, but she was 100% Irish with a little bit of English in there. But my dad was born and grew up in Yonkers. Where, when did your dad's parents uh, come to America? Sure. So 
around the 1920s, my grandfather was living in uh, Ermia, which is called Ermi, and uh, with his and his sister and his sister had a baby, and he decided it was time to get out because they were there was a lot of violence with the the Kurdish, I guess you could say the ethnic Kurds and the Assyrians were fighting. Some members of my family were were killed and he decided it was time to go. So he orchestrated this at the age of like 14 or 15, orchestrated a trip to get his his sister and niece and, and nephew out of the country. So literally, my, my understanding is he did some sort of subterfuge and was where it got some sort of Russian blazer with a Russian emblem and they took the railroad across Russia to Vladivostok, which is basically, Vladivostok is like, you could almost throw a, a rock into Alaska. It's the far northeastern end of Russia. And then they took a boat from Vladivostok to Seattle, where they were actually taken in by B'nai B'rith, which had been good with a lot of Assyrians, and kind of take care of them, and that's how they came to the United States. And a lot of Assyrians went to Philadelphia, and they had some family in Philadelphia, so they got in the the train or however they got there, I'm thinking the train, and went to Philadelphia. So that was the story. So he basically came uh, around the around 1920, early 1920s. So, and that was my grandmother. I'm not as clear on her story, but she's 100% Armenian and actually grew up not far from Ermi in Tabriz and ended up in Philadelphia also, which was the one of the key connections. So that was that. Uh, that was part of the story. Is that where your grandparents met? Uh, actually, they did meet in Philadelphia. Um, and uh, my grandfather and grandmother were very uniquely different. My grandmother was very free-spirited. My Armenian grandmother never could get a driver's license. Uh, she was, uh, at one point, she had a food cart in Yonkers, but she gave away all the food. So there was no, uh, there was no future there. She was an amazing cook. And like many Assyrians and Armenians, she did electrolysis as a side business, although she just dabbled in it. My grandfather uh, was, uh, he was a, an entrepreneur. He started his own painting company. They, they met, she had a big family, and a lot of Assyrians and Armenians met at that time in Philadelphia, New York. But there were, I think we were more in Philadelphia than they were in New York. Why they ended up settling in Yonkers, I'm not sure. I probably have to check that story with my father. But they built a nice life there and became active in the community. I read somewhere that the Assyrian American Association of Yonkers was one of the first of its kind to have established a little before 1920. But how was your grandfather involved in the community? Was he a deacon in the church too? He was a shamasha mm -hmm. and actually built the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, which my understanding was the first church in Yonkers, and there weren't that many churches in the New York area. So we would have, it's pretty funny, we would have Mar Shimon and Mar Danka to dinner, mm -hmm. even at my house, at my grandfather's house. And I always said, who is this strange man with the big hat? And we had to kiss the ring because it was just had to be done. Uh, but it was nice that they brought us to expose us to that culture. So they were, my, but my grandfather was sort of the head guy. And then actually in 1974, he was a Syrian American man of the year at the convention, which is why I have this winged horse that I've kept from his history. Um, and he was a very patriotic American, but he was very active. And so we would be dragged around to every single possible event. 
funeral of people that said they were your cousins, but you didn't really know if they were your cousins. So, but it was, it was a great thing culturally growing up in two different, the best thing I had that was growing up in two completely different cultures, mm -hmm. you know, one Irish Catholic, Roman Catholic, and the other Orthodox Assyrian and Armenian. It was the best thing. In fact, um, my Armenian side, they were rug makers. So my great uncle, who was a wonderful man and liked his, uh, he liked his uh, whiskey, was an amazing uh, rug maker. And, and him and, and I think his father also had made a lot of Armenian rugs that are, and he was an amazing talent. When did you leave Yonkers? I left Yonkers in 1979, which is, which is an interesting story because we ended up in Texas. And of course we, we had, we found all the Assyrians in Texas or they found us somehow. Well, oh, yeah. Was we, it in what found, part of Texas? We, we lived in the Dallas area. Oh, okay. um, and so we found all the Assyrians in Dallas. They found us. And uh, it was just naturally, of course, because they were like, you got to look this person up because he's in Texas. So there was like, you know, seven, seven Assyrians in the whole yeah. state. They had no church. But going back to Yonkers and the Assyrians, you know, they were, uh, it was pretty funny because that relates to how I eventually got found here in Chicago because I was hiding from the Assyrians. Not literally, but <laughs> I wasn't as involved. And then through connections in Yonkers and other people, my friends and politics somehow I got discovered, so that was uh, that was good. So I've been able to reconnect with a lot of Assyrians. Yeah, uh, where did you go to school? So I went to high school in Dallas, where we had lived. My dad was actually a, a longtime executive at American Airlines, and then I went to college in D.C. at Georgetown, and then um, I worked in Texas after my after I graduated from college, and uh, but eventually said I got to get out of Texas. And then I went to, um, I ended up being offered a job in the state capitol in Springfield as a reporter. I started as a reporter. And I said, well, that's not so bad, you know. And my friends were like, no, don't do it. You know, it's a terrible place. Midwest is terrible. People are, you know, it's cold. Everything is bad. Well, one thing led to another. I ended up in, working in Springfield as a journalist and then uh, got involved. So that's, my, that's when I ended up in Illinois. So is that what... Um got you started uh, into politics? Actually, my dad got me started in Yonkers. Um, my parents were really involved, and my, my Assyrian father would drag me out. Um, and of course, like a typical Assyrian, he bribed me with food. <laughs> he said, if you go out me, I'll buy you hamburgers. Usually it was hamburgers or pizza. So my dad was a precinct captain in Yonkers at the age of five. Uh, I mean, when I was five, and so he would drag me out, and I'd hand out flyers at, at people's houses. So it was in my blood, and my mom was political, very political. In fact, when she died, she uh, she said, I would like to put in my obituary that I worked for two presidents, and which was true. She worked for Ford Nixon. She said, I don't, just don't want to mention their names, because Nixon was discredited and disputed. So um, I've been involved in politics earlier, so it was in my blood. So I got, But I did get more involved as I got here in Illinois, and that's when, and when I worked in Springfield, I met then Senator Obama. Mm -hmm. Actually met him before he got elected, and that was what led to my involvement uh, working for the president. I saw that you took a one-week trip with him that he mentions in his book, The Audacity of Hope. Uh, yes. <laughs> Tell me about that trip. Well, we decided when he first, when, 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 Senator, when President Obama first became a state senator, mm -hmm. I got assigned to him. Not by choice, because I was a busy guy, and I they said, you know, he likes you, he thinks you're a smart guy. So I said, we need to take a trip because we need to see what's going on in the rest of Illinois. You've never been outside Chicago. 
And he goes, why does it that matter? I only represent Chicago. I go, because you vote for the whole state of Illinois. Your vote affects everybody in Illinois. So he said, okay. My, he talked to his wife, and she said, why do you need to do that? And he said, well, I think it'd be good. And, and she was expecting a baby. So uh, we threw our golf clubs in the car, as we said, and uh, uh, took them around the state to introduce them to people that I had met through politics. And it was a great experience for him. And uh, it was actually one of the things that when he realized it was an awakening, he put in his book that he could get votes from people that were very different. I mean, mm -hmm. the irony, the and, if, and I want to tie that into early Obama and Assyrians, which is... I dragged him to a lot of Assyrian events, and he was flexible. We took him to the ethnic festival in Skokie, Illinois, in 2003 when he was running, and it was a, it was a lot of Assyrians that kind of walked him around, introducing him to people. So, because he was a, of a strange name and, and had big years, <laughs> I mean, at different ethnicities, I think liked him because they said, "Hey, if this guy has a terrible name, and he could be." A, a U.S. senator, which was what he wanted to run for, then I'm okay. So he had a lot of support from ethnic communities. When you first met him, what did you think of him? I thought at first he was a little dry, professorial, overconfident, but uh, he has a way of winning you over. People that say, oh, Obama's a good speaker, but he's not very smart. Well, first of all, you can't be a good speaker if you're not very smart. The guy's brilliant. He's amazing when it comes to his his retention of information and 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 I sort of I, I witnessed him transforming from a boring politician to a an amazing speaker because of and it was because he was so intelligent and he learned that over time. But I'll also say that one of his legacies is an open mindedness for people of different races, nationalities. He didn't care. You had to, if you could deliver the work and do the job, it didn't matter what your nationality was. You had different roles when you worked with him. So sure. I think you started out at, as his aide, like legislative aide, right? But you did a lot of other things, and then you eventually became a campaign manager. Um, right, very yeah. good point. So, um, so tell, tell me about that. Sure. Started out as his aide, but then essentially, after time, took over most of his operation. And from 1997 to 2006, I was basically his chief advisor, um, putting together his political plans, his legislative strategy, his public, doing all his public relations, writing. He, uh, and that's when we, during the time he ran for Congress, re-election to the, to the Senate, and then U.S. Senate. So that was basically for a six-year period I was in charge. And then I stayed on as political director at the time that my mom died, actually, so I wanted to. I stayed on as political director uh, for three more years to, during during the 2004 campaign and then beyond. I'm um, helping him out with Illinois politics, which was which was busy. But uh, so my role was basically for three. Of, I ran managed three of his campaigns, and then um, and then I served as political director for, I guess you could say, up to uh, up to nine years. Okay. And what do you and the partners that you have at the firm that you have right now, what do you what do you guys do? So what we do now is we're consulting on government relations projects mostly, which means if you're a lawyer, if you need help with a legal problem, you hire a lawyer. If, if you have a medical problem, you hire a doctor. If you have need want help with government, you hire me. Mm -hmm. But most of, most of the cases, I help my client uh, strategize 
and, and navigate governmental issues that they have, whether it's a long-term strategy, like Pfizer, the drug company who I represent, or if it's a shorter-term project, like I have a developer who's now building a bunch of senior housing in uh, the Chicago suburbs. He has a short-term project. So I'm helping them navigate this strategy to, to get the most effective plan. Does that, does that involve, I don't want to say optics, but optics, like how things look to other people, you know, when they want to get involved in different governmental things, do they come to you and say, here's what I want to do. I want other people to agree with what I want yeah. to do. Help me. <laughs> Is that it's, something it, you It's do? all about optics. And these mm-hmm. days it's all about, a lot of it's about social media. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's about influencing. How do you influence the public? Mm-hmm. Optics, and it's true. And how does this look to the public? Mm-hmm. If it looks bad, it's going to be bad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's, if it, if, if it looks bad, it smells bad. I mean, so a lot of times it's worse how it looks than it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you make a very good point. But mainly the thing is to have a project that's good for people that is sellable. Mm-hmm. Uh, or And that's really what you're doing across the board. And most of the, you know, there's a lot of bad inf- uh, public feeling about politicians and lobbyists. But 99% of what we're doing is just providing information and helping educate people and we are trying to sway opinion but most of it's good projects i mean it's not there is always two sides every story and and most of it is just helping policymakers provide information that they can make the best decisions yeah a lot of people say i don't like politics i don't get involved with politics Mm -hmm. because they think politics equals corruption or something but also politics is policy and that's what makes a difference in our lives. Every little policy impacts the way we live our day-to-day life sometimes. What would you say to people who have that mentality about politics? What would you want them to know? Well, it's a big, you know, you raise a good question. It's a big problem in the Assyrian community and all the ethnic communities. I do a lot of work, I've done a lot of work in the suburbs of Chicago, campaign work with areas where there's heavy populations of Romanians, Serbians, Assyrians. I worked in the mayor's race in Niles twice, and we went through the list, and I think in the municipal election, seven Romanians and 24 Assyrians voted. And there's thousands, hundreds and thousands. And they don't vote in presidential elections, but they really don't vote in local elections, which means if you don't vote, you don't count. Your voice doesn't can't be heard. So what happens to the Assyrian community? They have, but. I, I will tell you that things have changed. They have taken a lot of positive strides with a lot of young, energetic people in Chicago, which is great. People that are second, I think some are second generation, but they're much more modern in their attitude. And that is the biggest problem. One another problem with Assyrians and other ethnics that they, you know, you can't just stick your head in a hole and just hang out with people of your own background and faith. You've got to expand. And I think you're starting to see that, a new breed coming forward, and I think that's uh, that's a positive. So voting and get, getting involved in that way is obviously important. What do you think of Assyrians in politics, running for office? Um, how do you think that would impact um, the Assyrian community and diaspora? Oh, it'd be huge, as long as they... As long as they, you know, it's not just enough to be an Assyrian and run for office. You have to be connected to your community and you have to be concerned about your community. One of the issues that, one of the things that I did recently was I got the new 
senator, he's not a senator-elect, but he's going to be the senator for most of the Assyrians in the north side of Chicago. I got him to be on a radio program that they have here. Uh, Joe Rasho has the program. And connecting him with that program, and then I'm going to get a couple of other legislators. So the there needs to be, you know, it's an, a mutual understanding. And it, and in some cases, it's, it's, a, it, it's a fear thing, because people fear what they don't know. So some of the people that are in politics and policymakers, they don't understand what we are. I mean, you know, my sister was in college and she said, I'm a Syrian, and the professor said she was extinct. I mean, there are still people that don't know. We don't have a country. So they, they keep educating. And so I think getting the Syrians involved, it, it's going to be a long process, and educating people it will, be, will be a positive for the community in the long run. When you think about all the different types of people um, you have met who didn't know who Assyrians were, how do you explain who Assyrians are and <laughs> who you are? <laughs> well, I use a lot of explanations. We're like Greeks. That's one of them I use. We're, we're like Lebanese. There's, yeah, we're Christian like Greeks. And we're actually, I just got back from a trip to Romania uh, and Ukraine, and, and we're the same religion. Basically the same, you know, so I went to an Orthodox wedding uh, on Saturday. Um, so we have a lot of, that's what I try to do. In fact, Chicago has a huge Serbian and Romanian population. So it's good that, that you know, tying it into the other ethnic groups and we have the same religion. So that's one way. The second way is, you know, that um, to, to show the difference between, uh, and also to tie in the fact that I'm Armenian. Mm-hmm. You know, so people understand Armenians, unfortunately, sometimes because of the Kardashians. But, you know, that makes it a lot. So I think you find a lot of awareness in Chicago. But as far as nationally, it's it's going to take a long time for Assyrians to get understood. And it's not just our community, it's many other communities. So again, running for office is great. And I think there are some really great young Assyrians that want to run for office. Uh, it's tough. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. But I think you know, the process is beginning. You talked about money and raising money if you want to run for office, but one of the things that Obama's campaign was known for, at least his presidential one, was being grassroots organizers and getting um, donations from, small donations from people. Um, can you talk about grassroots campaigns and what they are and um, how they work and what's the difference between a campaign that starts um, on that level versus a campaign that just has a lot of big money, a lot of money coming from small, um, a, a few donors, let's say. That's a very good question. The answer is that it, your, if your candidacy comes from the bottom up, uh, that you have an advantage. But then you need the, you need the, uh, the resources to compete. So it's a double-edged sword. Mm. There have been cases recently where people came out of nowhere to win some races and under-resourced candidates, for especially for Congress in urban areas. Mm-hmm. To some extent, they've taken advantage of free media. In this day and age, it's very disturbing. No one watches TV. No one reads the newspaper. And everybody's like, well, that, is that a good thing? I don't think it's a good thing for civic involvement. Everything is social media, the Internet. So to get that message across on social media, a lot of it has to come from money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're... they're there are many grassroots efforts that can help people get elected. And I think Obama benefited from the fact that there was a certain energy about him and his uniqueness. Uh, so that the Assyrians can tap into that uniqueness. You know, there's been a few other examples. There's a uh, first ever Arab woman, I guess, in Michigan is going to be uh, in Congress, which is great news. So I think 
the uniqueness of our community provides us an opportunity to, you know, be advanced. I think we have a couple of people here that want to run for office in the local level, which is great. And I think that would be a really good entree into the community. Mm -hmm. Which makes me think of just diversity in politics and how important it is and how good it is to have diversity in politics because then different people are represented, but then you can use that diversity, Assyrians can use that kind of diversity and say, hey, I'm like you in this X, Y, and Z way, um, and let's find common ground and, and oh, work together. Absolutely. And you know, I'll be honest, the Assyrians have no choice because the Arabs are gaining a lot of power here, politically, business-wise. And I believe that the Assyrians must work with these other different Middle Eastern groups to forge partnerships because culturally we have a lot in common and we are, uh, we're, we're such a big ethnic minority that we need friends in, in other places. So you raise, but diversity is a strength and it's one of the best things about, about Chicago land areas that we have so much acceptance of different uh, people, but we at the same time, we need to build relationships outside the Assyrian community, which is a very big challenge, but very important. Yeah. How long have you been living in Chicago now? So I formally moved here in 80, in, in, in 1999. I do not go to church, so I am a bad Assyrian. Uh, per, perhaps that means when the, if one, at, when judgment day comes, I'm going to have to use some of my other things to get, to get me into, uh, yeah, although I, I figure all those hours I spend at my grandfather's church in, in Yonkers should give me some extra bonus credit from the old days. But I've lived here now for, I guess you could say that would be 29 years or 20, if I moved here in 99. No, that would be actually 19 years, but I had been in Chicago before that working on campaigns. Uh, but actually, it, it was I think it was 2000 and it was around 2000 that I got discovered because because of a campaign, which was... One of my friends who knew I was a Syrian was managing a campaign in the north suburbs and had met uh, two of the, the guys that owned the Crystal Palace uh, in Chicago, which is a big Assyrian banquet hall. And they're become good friends and almost like family to me, Hany Baba and, and Raymond Oshana. And somehow they said, you're a Syrian? Well, Dan Shulman's a Syrian. And then one thing led to another, and that's kind of how I got found. And now Assyrians know who you are. <laughs> and now, they're, and now you're on the Assyrian podcast. <laughs> unfortunately, I like the Assyrian podcast, but unfortunately now I can't hide. <laughs> they call me about a lot of stuff. So I'm, I do, uh, I, I, I'm pro bono or no bono Assyrian, you could say that, because I've helped out with a lot of people that have projects. What do you like about Chicago? I like the diversity. Um, I think we need more. I still think there's a lot of racism here, um, especially directed towards African Americans. Unfortunately, that the one of the benefits of Chicago is there's a lot of acceptance of different races as long as they're not black or Hispanic. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have so many Asians and Koreans and Assyrians and Serbians. So that's one thing I don't like. I do like the fact that you know, though that we have some progressive views about different ethnicities. And so I think it's, that's a positive. I think that economically we're pretty diverse. I think there's a lot of opportunity for people that are immigrants to be successful here in business. I mean, you know, my block, it looks like somewhere between Ramallah, you know, in Palestine, I've got Afghan kebab on the corner and then Korean, you know, down the street. And then I've got Romanian, 
you know, sausages on the corner. So that's what makes America great. And I think that's a positive. I saw that you do some work with um, ABC News Transylvania. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Talk to me about that. That was really interesting. Well, I we own some businesses in Romania. Okay. One of my bit part, business partners and I, who's Romanian, so we have a TV station in the middle of nowhere. Well, it's actually not the middle of nowhere. Transylvania is actually a very vibrant area in the western part of Romania. So no, I'm not working with Dracula, uh, <laughs> but 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 it's a, but it's a uh, it, it, and you know ironically, North Romania is ninety percent Orthodox. Hmm. So we have that. We have some newspapers and some other businesses up there, and uh, I, I was just returned from a trip there, and the, culturally they're very they know Assyrians and Armenians and Eastern Orthodox far better than Americans do, which is disturbing. You know, I think that across Europe there's a lot more knowledge of everything. You know, uh, across Europe there's a lot more knowledge of our culture than there is in in places, you know, in America. Dan, I want to uh, end the conversation by giving you an opportunity to say anything you would want to say to our listeners. So if you could say anything to uh, people who listen to the Assyrian Podcast, what would you say? Well, I'm, I am, uh, I'm glad to be on the Assyrian Podcast, and I think this is a great effort because any education about Assyrians helps the community. Uh, and I was impressed by all the questions, and um, I hope that if I can be, I hope I can be of assistance in educating people about Assyrians as as we move forward. And I think uh, I still think the Assyrian community needs time to develop. We're not there yet, but we're making progress. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. You got it. <laughs>